This morning we are going to continue our message series on the book of Galatians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the church at Galatia. Have you ever made a promise to someone and then forgot about it? Like didn't fulfill it, didn't follow up on it or whatever, but you like kind of made a guarantee or told me, oh yes, I totally, I will, I will do that. It kind of leaves your mind and then whoever you made the promise to typically doesn't leave their minds. And so, um, you know, they may approach you at some point and be like, hey, did you know that thing? Um, <laughs> did you ever think about that or did you ever get to do that or have you thought about that lately? Now, our kids are a little less diplomatic. My kids, you know, they just scream, you promised. They will remind me, right? And I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling when someone comes to you and they say, hey, remember when? And you're like, oh. Then you remember. Kind of like uh, the other day, somebody mentioned the, uh, the prize for our scavenger hunt. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. Funny, right? <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> it wasn't really, I guess it was a promise. I haven't forgotten. Someone reminded me. So whoever's on the winning team of our Central Park scavenger hunt, we'll get those prizes to you. Um, I, I hope. Um, well, that's why I'm very careful in saying I promise. Like, I, I think my kids could tell you I am very cautious about that. I don't want to, you know, people will try to get it from you, too. Do you promise? It's like, well, easy. Uh, I hope. I plan on it, right? Um, that's my intention because I know me too much. And so I don't want to make promises that I can't keep. But God has made a promise, God's made many promises, but we're going to focus this morning on a particular promise to you and to me, to all mankind. And God is different than me. God doesn't forget the promise. God doesn't, uh, doesn't slip his mind. He is faithful. And we're going to look in uh, Galatians chapter 3 this morning at this promise. Um, and we'll continue the true gospel, which is the title of our message series. Um, and we're going to look at this promise, um, and this is a letter. I just want to do a quick refresher, the book of Galatians, because it's a letter altogether written to us, uh, some churches, uh, the church in a certain part of um, what's modern-day Turkey. It was Galatia at the time, a Roman province, right? And he wrote this to them. Um, he started this church like a year or so before he sent this letter, and he's getting word that some things are changing, that some people are coming in and trying to change the message of Christ, the message of the gospel. And this aggravates Paul. You can see it in this letter in different places. He's, you know, using pretty strong language. And what has happened is some, some, uh, this, this group of Christians is made up of some Gentile uh, believers and also some Jewish believers. And some of the Jewish believers have come and they brought some baggage with them. They brought some of these ceremonial things, the law and circumcision, these things with them to uh, the Christian community and kind of said, you know what? It's fine that, you know, Jesus died on the cross and all those things. That's true. We believe that. But also you need to do these religious things. You need to do, um, you know, these certain ceremonies, not just not just to, you know, worship, because I believe you can do um, some of these ceremonial traditional things and worship. I, a friend of mine invited me to their bar mitzvah, and I went into the temple here on 86th Street and sat through that, and the, the Ten Commandments were up there, and there was different, um, you know, the Torah, they brought the Torah, and I was just praising God the whole time. 
I was just praising God. The fulfillment of all that I knew is in Jesus. Um, but all of that, you know, but I knew that that, those things in particular, didn't make me right with God. That ceremony didn't make me right with God. What Jesus did, the promise that God made to you and to me, to Abraham, that is what has put me in the right place with God. And so we're going to talk about that um, this morning. And last week we discussed the first half of chapter 3, if you remember, and how um, one of the mistakes that we make, and so was this church, we come at the gospel from the from the uh, from the uh, aspect of it's all about me. Okay, God, what have you done for me? What is this going to do for me? And it's, it, it, that's not where it starts. It starts with recognizing God, right? It's God's idea. God loves us so that he didn't leave us in our condition. He loves us and pursued us. And throughout Scripture, we see God coming for us. That's the story of Scripture. God coming to redeem us and pursuing us. Just like I was talking a minute ago, you know, God's constantly calling us closer into his love. And sometimes we run this way and sometimes we run that way. But God continues to pursue. And that is the gospel. And that's the story throughout um, the history of mankind. And so this morning I've entitled the message Promises, Promises, right? Um, Sometimes my wife says that when I say, yeah, I'm going to get to the dishwasher. Um, But this is different. These are the promises of God that never fail, even though we as humans try to twist it and try to stick other things in there. We make it more complicated and more difficult than it is because that's just in our nature. And so we come to the second half of chapter 3 here in Galatians. um, We see a classic technique used by Satan and our flesh, our human uh, nature. And that is to make an idol of anything else but God. Make an idol... uh, 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 make something else front and center in our lives, anything else but God. And that's what he's doing, uh, that's what he's addressing here. Is these these uh, Christians in Galatia have started to take the law, the law of Moses, and, and start to demand that everybody um, adhere to that as well. And so, um, in, in uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, I'm going to read here, we're going to take... Uh, this just a few verses at a time. You know, I told you sometimes I read the whole passage and I give you the points. We're just going to go, we're going to go through this a little bit at a time because there's a lot to take in here. So beginning in verse 15 of chapter 3, uh, where, we, where we left off last week, it says this. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Let's pray. Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. God, speak uh, louder and clearer than anything I could say or put together this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through um, the word. And um, Lord, make it clear uh, what you would say to us and and how we should respond to it. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So like I said, Paul's speaking to these believers, right? These Jewish believers, they're Christians. Um, but he lays out through this, pas- through this passage logically and historically what has happened. How God has clearly reached out to them, reached out to you and I and to all mankind to restore us to himself. See, sometimes we make the mistake of looking at scripture and we think that God is somewhere wringing his hands and be like, let's try this. Uh, no, that didn't work. Let's try Abraham. No, that didn't work. Let's, let's do uh, Moses. No, let's David or Jesus. No, God has woven the redemption story throughout creation, throughout all history of mankind. His will is unfolding slowly, but surely. See, because that's how we do things, right? We take a shot here, we take a shot there. That's how we strategize, right? We try to fill up the church seeds. Well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. But the thing is, God has a plan. And he put it into motion from the beginning to establish a relationship with you and with me. That's why we were created. If you were with us before the pandemic, we went through the the book God's Big Picture in our D groups. And that basically gives you a view from the beginning of Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, a line, a consistent line of what God is doing, how He's building redemption, uh, how He's offering redemption to us and pursuing us. And it all goes together. Um, So God has a plan. He's been working that out. um, And it's a theme of history. So we see in Paul's writing here a few critical things I want us to look at in regards to that plan to restore us to himself as he's addressing these Christians. First, um, first, God has given us a promise. God has given a promise. In verse 18 there in that passage you just read, it says, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He's like, some of y'all are trying to earn this, trying to earn a relationship with God uh, through the law, through circumcision, through teaching all these other things. But God... By his grace, gave it to Abraham, gave the inheritance, made him a child of God through the promise and made you a child of God, these people that he's talking to, through the promise. And he starts in verse 15 with an illustration. He says, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, neither can we. So, see, once a contract is signed is what he's saying. It's signed and sealed. You don't go back and make changes, right? It reminds me of when we were moving to New York City. And if you live in New York City, which I think all of us do, you know the craziness of trying to get an apartment in New York City and how you got to prove your income or figure out a way to do that. And you look for an apartment. And I remember we were looking for our apartment and we found one, the exact one we wanted. We thought, okay, let's get it. They said, yes, you can have it. We were going to sign the papers and we got there. They said, oh, uh, we gave it to somebody else. What? But, well, it, the contract's not signed yet. So I was like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, it's pretty cutthroat. And so we found another apartment and went to sign the contract. And I remember we were writing little things on the contract because there's little things left out. And they were, uh, Tony knows for sure how all this works. He's like, don't leave anything off of that contract because once that contract is signed, it's done. And you say, well, you said I could paint. Nope, it's not on the contract. I was, or you said, if it's not on the contract, it's not true. But if it is, then it's true. We're held to it. It's done. And so what the, this covenant or contract that Paul is talking about is the promise is, is part of the promise that God gave Abraham. And it was promised to all of us. 
He called Abraham, if you remember in the, in the Old Testament, he called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? To take him and put him on the altar as an act of faith. And Abraham trusted that God was just and righteous. He didn't know exactly why, but he obeyed. He went and took Isaac to that mountain, took him up, set it all up, got the everything ready, got the fire in place and was getting ready to do it. And then you remember God stopped him. God provided the lamb to be sacrificed, right? Well, that's what God called Abraham to do. That was part of this contract. You know, contract has two sides. So God called Abraham uh, in his sovereignty to do this act of faith. And so that was Abraham's part. God's part was the promise. And the promise is the gospel. The promise is why you and I are here today and we hear the message of Christ and the message of God's salvation extended to all people. I just want to read it to you in Genesis chapter 22, that interaction right after God provided the sacrifice uh, for Abraham there. He said, uh, and the angel in Genesis chapter 22 verse 15 says, and the angel of Jehovah called unto Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, have I sworn, saith Jehovah, because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed, hast obeyed my voice. This is the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham to bless the entire world, to bless you here this morning and to bless me. And at the beginning of that promise, he says, by myself have I sworn. God signed this uh, by his own character, right? This is based on God's character, not on Abraham's, not on yours, not on mine. It's not about what I can do, how, how religious I can be. This is based on God's character. That's why he said, by myself I have sworn. It's given and guaranteed by the holy, righteous, sovereign God of the universe. And he's a good God. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Listen, I know sometimes I struggle. I struggle with understanding why certain things are happening in my life and understanding why God is not acting or responding to my prayers the way that I think that he should. But I'm always brought back to this truth. God is good. God is just. God is righteous. He is faithful and his love never fails. That's what his word tells me. And if I look back at my life, it's what I've seen him prove over and over again. Our hope is not in what we see God doing, but who we know God is. And listen, if you're struggling with the message of Christ, if you're struggling with scripture or faith this morning, the first thing you have to settle is that God loves me. That is the number one thing. Because as long as I don't really believe that, the rest is just kind of like, eh, okay. You know what I mean? And that's a, that's a big one. That's a big one. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God's word, he's given it to us. He's preserved it, his promise. He's brought it through Abraham all the way throughout history to us here this morning. His word is, I love you. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of my throne. And, and he loves us. And so um, it's set in stone. It's, 
This is going to happen. This promise that he made with Abraham, right? Um, and the promise is the Messiah. The promise is the coming Christ, a redeemer, the rescue for you and for me. God chose to accomplish the fulfillment of this promise through Abraham, he says here, and his seed. Right? He, he goes to that little part where he says, it's not, not many seeds, it's one seed. What he's saying is, it's Abraham and Christ. This, this promise made it to Abraham. It's fulfilled in Jesus, who is the coming Messiah. In verse 16 here, he says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Jesus, God is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, right? And our Jewish brothers and sisters, they believe in the Messiah too. They believe in a deliverer. They, many take this passage as the promised deliverer that will come. You remember Zechariah and the priest, uh, Zechariah the priest in the temple. Remember when he heard that Jesus was being was born, he declared in Luke chapter one verse seventy three that he heard that Yeshua was the fulfillment of this, and he says the Lord has visited his people and granted the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us the coming Messiah, the Deliverer. Now many are still waiting for the Messiah, right? They're waiting on this conqueror. In the Amidah, it's called. It's a central prayer in the Jewish liturgy. And most observant Jews recite this prayer three times a day, these prayers. And that prayer, in that prayer, there's a section that reads this. I believe with complete faith in the coming Messiah. And even though he may tarry, nevertheless, I yearn every day for his coming. So why still wait? Well, Many have rejected that Jesus was this coming Messiah because they were looking for a mighty warrior, a conqueror, right? At the time who would come and lift the boot of Rome off the neck of the children of Israel and that still waiting for him to deliver Israel as a nation. But what the promise was to Abraham was that all nations would be blessed. This promise was to you and to me that a coming Victor, a coming conqueror, would come, but he would conquer sin and death. He would bridge the gap between us and God, not just to deliver a people nationally or, or politically or any of those things, but to heal the broken relationship between God and man. The same message that's been coming since the garden. God has been working it out, as he said, all the nations of the world. And so this is one of the obstacles for these people that Paul's talking to in the church at Galatia. They had their own expectations of how God should do things. And, and in turn, they distorted the message. That's many of our issue as well. They wanted to form it to something that they were more comfortable, comfortable with. But the promise, just like the gospel, is about God first. His plan, his way of bringing redemption and not mine. When I make it about me... When I try to mold the message of Christ, the message of God into what makes me comfortable, what I do in my flesh and in my brokenness, this is just true of every single one of us, is we twist it. We begin to mold a faith or spirituality that somehow favors some and doesn't favor others. It works for my benefit and those that I care about and then others 
it kind of leaves out and there's a hierarchy. It just happens that way, even if we don't want it to happen, because our sinfulness, because our flesh just works that way. We see it throughout history. God knows that. God knew that. That's why he gave the promise according to his character, according to his name. He was going to bring salvation, bring restoration. That was the promise for you and for me. Because we would say, well, everybody take their own road. Well, what about these horrific crimes? And you say, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do about those. No, God covered it all. God covered it all. He didn't care where you've been, what you've done, what sin has been in your life, what, what you've said, what you've thought. None of those things. He says, come to me. Come to Christ. This is the promise. I'm coming to rescue you. That's the promise. And that's what he did through Jesus, through his offspring, right? Through the offspring of Abraham, through uh, his, his line, even Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually David. And then from the line of David, Jesus through you, God said, I'm going to bring salvation to all the world. And isn't it beautiful, this scene with Abraham? God said, you, you didn't hold back your only son, but we're willing to sacrifice him. And then God gave his only son for that sacrifice. Even right there, geographically, Mount Moriah right there where this happened with, a, with a Abraham. That's the same. That's Jerusalem right there, right? Where Jesus was sacrificed uh, just outside the gates there. So, God came for us. Verse 16, he said in that promise back in Genesis, Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And then remember John 3.16, what Jesus said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. In verse 17 here in this passage, he goes on to say, The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So what he's saying there is God made this promise with Abraham, right? Around 2100 B.C. The the law and the Mosaic law didn't come for 450 some years later. So that promise is already signed, sealed, and delivered. Everything's scribbled in and the margins and everything, and it's sealed, and that's it. God says, I will bring that promise to bear. So you trying to keep the law perfectly, trying to be holy exactly, do everything, make every uh, decision exactly the way it should be, and try to please God and be as religious as you can be, he's like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't have power over the promise. I'm bringing that promise to you either way, anyway, because that's what matters is fulfillment of that promise. So listen, God has made a plan to restore you and me to himself. He's made a promise to you. Stop looking for, for the fulfillment of that. Stop. We have to stop looking for that, that yearning that's within us, that drawing in the things of the world, that healing. It's not in the world. The desire for meaning, the, the need for guidance, all those things... God has promised to do it. The question is, will I trust him? So God has made a promise. We continue on in verse 19. He says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred has come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Verse 21. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those 
who believe. Now listen, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that you want, but here's the bottom line. God has given a standard. He gave us a promise. He gave that through Abraham, and then he gave a standard through Moses, right? He gave the law. Paul asked this rhetorical question. Why was the law given at all? Because of sin. What about sin? That's my own rhetorical question. Um, To reveal it. To reveal what it is. To reveal who God is. His holiness. He reached into the history of mankind and, and showed who He is. What He's about. His holiness. His righteousness. Justice. All those things are contained in the law. So it was to reveal God's holy standard, which is holiness. The law was also given to help restrain man in order to keep us from destroying ourselves before the Messiah arrived. You know, you ever bowl and you, you, they put up the little rails in the gutter, right? Josh, they do that for you all the time? Yeah, we put up the little rail. Somehow, I feel like I've thrown it over those rails, but those rails are there to keep us Keep us out of the ditch, right? Keep us out of the gutter. That's what, that's what the law was there as well for. To give us guidance to, to restrain man. A statue of Moses holding the Ten Commandments is atop the eastern wall roof line of the Supreme Court. And as you enter the Supreme Court Great Hall, you see carved in the large oak doors there the Ten Commandments. Societies and nation after nation has been led by the law of God in the issues of justice, ethics, morality. And as we go away from that, we'll see what happens. We've seen it. Get a textbook and look back at the great nations and how did they, did they go down because of some giant war? Not most of the time. It's because we turn from God's standard. But that's the natural, that's the natural consequence of our sin. And God knows that. That's why he came for us. That's why he wants to heal us. But the law also revealed man's need for a savior. The Bible says that the law aroused rebellion in us. What does that mean? That means God gave us the law. He showed his holiness and he gave it as a mirror to us that we would see who we really are. That we're fallen, that we're broken. Romans 7, 5 says, For while we were living in the flesh, Our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. It's that part of our flesh that made Adam and Eve Eve say, God said what? God said I couldn't do what? Let Let me just see. That part of us. Sin, Sin means, literally that word means missing the mark, to miss the mark. Jesus um, says in John three nineteen, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a standard by God. There's He's shown us in His law. He's shown us in His Word, and we don't. Part of that giving that law is for us to see where we're at. But the law is subject to the promise, not the other way around. See, we don't, we don't look into the law. We don't see our own sinfulness and then are cast into outer darkness. God came for us. The law was given to men. He talks about it as a mediator here. 
And therefore, it was manipulated, misused, misapplied. We thought, oh, we love a list, right? I love a list. First thing I do when I get to my desk in the morning is write, write some lists. I love checking that off. Even if I already did it, I write it down and then check it off. I love that. Soon as God gave us a list, we're like, okay, that's it. He gave us the commandments. He gave us the law. We're like, all right, let's get busy on trying to do that. I don't, I don't know about this relationship. What? That's weird. I want to do my thing. I want to accomplish what I want to do. Give me a list. I'll do it. But God desired a relationship with us. And so in our flesh, we pursued other things. We missed the mark and we took the law. And that's what, that's what happened in the church of Galatia. And so we begin to apply the law. We begin to be legalistic. And that makes me feel better because I'm better than this person or I'm better than that person. Not as bad as that person. It makes me self-righteous when I can earn it myself. But there's a part of all of us that wants control. And that's really where the bottom line comes in much of this. God gave the promise. He's the one who fulfilled the promise. He gives his son. He sent Jesus. But I'd rather try and earn it myself. I try to try to manipulate my circumstances, my relationships. I want control, my career, all those things. That's my human nature. But it's not how we find peace with God. Finding peace with God is surrender of that. And so, even in the law, he's calling us back to himself. Even that's why the law was given to help us to realize our need for a savior. Let's continue on here, verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Number three there, God has fulfilled the standard. So God's given, made a promise to us and he set a standard. Well, he himself fulfilled the standard. The law and our sin locks us in a prison that we can't work our way out of. We can't get our, ourselves out of, but Christ has given us the key to the lock of that prison, and that's faith in Him. The problem with the law is found in its inability to give strength to those who desire to keep it. It simply states the command, tells us to keep it, and tells us the consequences. Remember I talked about this the other week? It's like a scale. Get on the scale and I see where I'm at, but it doesn't do anything to help me get somewhere else. Andrew Jukes is an English theologian. He said, Satan would have us prove ourselves holy by the law, by religion, which God gave to prove us sinners. Even when we come in for worship and I think about, I get emotional, I get moved in our times of worship. It's because I realize who I am. When I'm face to face with God's grace, his love, his goodness, his holiness, it reminds me, well, who I was, not who I am now, but who I was before Jesus got a hold of my life. And so the law was given and acted as a guardian or a gatekeeper he talks about here. And so we were in this prison, uh, this failure, unable to meet the law, right? Now, some will say, why would God even do that? Why give the law at all? That's what Paul talks about here. But see, just because it can't justify me doesn't mean that it's useless. It just wasn't created to justify me. It was created to open my eyes to who God is and who I am. And so we are in this prison. 
And listen, sin is not a, this, this uh, sinfulness is not just some arbitrary thing and list, you know, that God decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. God knows what destroys. Look at the world. He knows what happens when we do things our way. And that's what sin is. That's really what sin is. I had somebody not too long ago tell me, I hate it when you say the word sin. Okay. I'm a pastor, you know, so I say that word a lot. No. Um, I said, well, if I said hatred, oh, yeah. You know, God hates bigotry. Yeah. God hates unfaithfulness and unfairness. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's sin. We are all sinful. And so that's, Paul describes it as a prison here. It mars the image of God. We're created in God's image. It mars that in me and in you. So God held up a mirror with the law. And the world chooses not to look in it or not to acknowledge it. And some who are religious and legalists try to pat themselves on the back because they do a pretty good job of it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. In verse 24, so the law was our guardian until Christ came. Jesus was the fulfillment. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Remember Jesus said that? I didn't come to change things. I came to, to God showed you who you are and who he is. And I came to fulfill that and die on the cross for you so that you might have that relationship with him, that you might be called righteous, not because of what you did, but because of what I did, what I've done. And so he breaks the chains of sin. God took that on himself. You know, these covenants God made throughout all time, throughout history, and then finally he just fulfills the covenant. Both sides on his, on himself. Hebrews four fifteen. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was holy. He went to the cross. He lived a sinless life. He's described in Scripture as the spotless Lamb of God, and he was crucified. Although he was innocent, he became sin for you and me. He took that all the requirements of the law. He took our failure to keep the law in order to free us from the prison of trying to be good enough. He took the guilt, the shame, and eventual death that we have earned. Jesus took all of that on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now the only requirement for you and I is faith. Faith in what Christ has done. God came running after you. He knows you can't be righteous. He knows that we can't live holy on our own. The law, the Bible, the Spirit, the promises, the Savior, all His pursuit of you and of me. You remember the, the passage about the prodigal son and that Jesus talks about the prodigal son who took all his inheritance and took off and said, I don't need you anymore, Dad. And showed that that's how we are. That's how mankind has been to God. We'll take this. Thanks for the earth. We'll go. We'll try to keep it good. We'll try to do all the But we don't need you anymore. And then he failed. He became broken. He realized he couldn't. And he came back. And the father saw him. Saw him because he was looking for him. And ran to the end of the road. And fell on his neck, it says. And hugged him and killed the fatted calf. And put a robe on him and a ring on his finger. And Jesus was saying, that's how the father sees you. 
That's how the Father sees you. He has run to us through Jesus, through the cross. He has seen us in our brokenness. He's seen us, this, the law and the covenants. It was not a big trick. It was all to push us towards him because it was going to be fulfilled in Jesus sprinting for us, coming to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins. He removed every barrier if we will come in faith. And so as we finish up here, verse 26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Finally, God has fulfilled his promise to us. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The doing is done. It's now called a faith. Tim Keller says, all religions are broken, in, broken into two statements. A do faith or a done faith. And in Jesus, it is done Romans 6, 6, as we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. On our own, we're unable. We're unable to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's just the bottom line. We can try and try. We get knocked down, we get back up. That's admirable, but it's not peace with God. God has come for us to give us peace. And when we come to Christ in faith, not in what I can do, but what in God has, God has done in surrender, then he removes that bondage, that yearning deep within you and within me for significance and meaning to be loved and to love is imparted to us, given to us. We're set free. This picture is beautiful of trying to achieve that on our own. Jesus fulfilled the promise. All that remains is faith. And so we see in these last few verses that the fulfillment of the promise enables me to answer this most basic question of all human questions. Who am I? In Christ, I am a son or daughter of the Most High God. Verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Christ, I am one with Jesus. Verse 27, for all you, all of you who are baptized into Christ have crucified yourselves with Christ. That word baptized, he's not talking about all of you who were dunked. He's talking all of you who are possessed, are completely and fully immersed in Jesus through faith. You're one with him. In Christ, I'm united to all the redeemed people of God, past, present, and future. I have a family forever in verse 28 there's neither jew nor gentile slave or free male or female for all of you are one in christ jesus what he's saying there is no no one's no one's closer to god than anyone else because you're a male you don't have a leg up and can get it's easier to get to god or a female it it doesn't matter doesn't matter if you're jewish or a gentile any of those things you come to jesus it's a level playing field we're his children Listen, if you feel you have more common ground with an unbeliever, an unbeliever this morning who shares your race or your political party than a genuine Christian from another race or political party, you've drawn lines that Jesus died on the cross to erase. 
if your um, union with people is based on these other lesser things, not saying that those things don't matter, not saying that we don't build relationships, but we should be one with brothers and sisters in Christ and treat one another as family and love unconditionally and encourage one another. There's no lines. All those things are lines. And listen, the culture, I won't go too far down this road, but the culture today is, is, is calling out for lines. Jesus broke every line. Jesus bro- brought us together as the family of God. In Christ, I have the promise. He said in verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You have everything that God has to offer, which is everything. So in closing, what have you done with Jesus today? Have you put your faith in him to save your soul? What he did on the cross? He promised. That's the fulfillment of the promise. What Christ came and did on the cross. He made another promise. He said he would return one day. Each one of us will stand before God. And when we stand before Holy God, that's the only question that matters. What did I do with Christ? 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not slow. And his promises, his promise to return, his promise to, to bring us to himself one day in eternity. But he has a heart of love. So if you put your faith in Christ today to save your soul, are you trusting him every day? Do you see his promises fulfilled in your life every day? If not, then maybe your eyes are on the wrong things, the wrong person. How sad is it in movies you know, when there's a classic picture of a little kid waiting for his dad to come to take him to the ball game or whatever, he's with his mom and she's like, at some point she's like, well, maybe he's not coming and he forgets, you know, or he gets some job. Sometimes the whole movie's about that and he can't get back and the kid is like, you promised. The kid's there crying so sad, right? God has fulfilled his promises. God, God promised that he would come and get you. He's done that in Jesus. Praise God. Our instinct is not to trust though, right? Not to trust God because that scene pricks all of our hearts because we've experienced things like that. We've seen things like that. We've seen the unfaithfulness of people. Well, that doesn't represent God. Our instinct sometimes is to not trust God. When he seems late, even as believers, when I don't see or hear him moving the way I want to, right? Or is slow, then I begin to take over. I begin to work things out according to my own plan. And that's a losing proposition. I can testify to that today. This is not a metaphorical or symbolic message today that Paul gives us. God is calling you, every single one of us, wherever you're at in your faith, to trust him more. Trust his word. Do you know his word? Do you know his promises? He's given it to us throughout all of scripture. He's teaching Reaching, calling, come closer, come deeper. He's made some pretty incredible promises in his word. And the one to begin with is the promise of the Savior. And so I ask you today, have you trusted him? Or are you still trying to work it out on your own?
Christians, are you trusting the Savior or are you still trying to work it out on your own? Are you panicking? It's not about sitting and waiting, but are you looking to and holding on to his very words, his very promises? The things of this world will vanish. They will vapor one day and all that will matter is that I trust Jesus, that I trust God's promise to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you that you pursue us. Lord, that beautiful picture that you gave us of the prodigal son. And Lord, that's all of us. That's all of us running uh, in our own direction, Lord God. And we give up. Sometimes we give up. If you don't show up when we want you to show up, if you don't do what we want you to do, sometimes, Lord God, we just, we just would prefer to trust in ourselves and we have made a mess. God, we look around us in the world and we have made a mess of things because we have sought to live according to how we can figure things out instead of by faith. And we all live by faith. Sometimes we just don't realize that we're living by faith, but we're putting our faith in something, in someone. And Lord, this morning, you're calling us. You're calling those Christians at, at the church in Galatia. You were calling them to put their faith in Christ, the fulfillment of your promise. So, Lord, thank you uh, that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you have shown us. You revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you've revealed ourselves to us. And thank you that you've been true to your promise in spite of us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.